What's up, Red Rocks Church? Woo! Man. It's a good-looking crowd. My word. Guys, I would say stop, but please don't. So, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Stop. stop. I'm totally kidding. You guys deserve that, not me. Hey, while you guys are still standing at every campus, let's do this. Let's show honor to all of our different campuses uh, in this city and even, weird to say, but around the globe. Uh, Lakewood, we absolutely love you. Arvada, of course, we love you here at Littleton. All the love for you guys across the pond at our campus in Brussels. Nothing but love for you guys. And you guys know what I'm going to do next, and I might get emotional because this aspect of our ministry is such a gift from God that we get to be a part of. And I pray that you guys never take it lightly. Can you at every campus give the most gracious round of applause to all of our men and women at our God Behind Bars campuses? We love you guys. We love you guys so much. So much. Such a privilege. You guys can at every campus go ahead and be seated. Uh, I just want to reiterate one more time uh, because I don't think I can say this enough, but I am going to say it one more time. This last 13 and a half years has been the coolest ride of my life. The fact that God let me be a part of a movement like this, knowing full well I don't deserve it any more than anybody else. The fact that God let me be a part of a movement like this and my family and the way you guys have treated Rachel and I and my family. Are there some haters in every church? Of course. Are there some critics doing jack squat on the sidelines telling you how to act? Of course. Do they count? Yes, because Jesus loves them. Do I love them? Yes, not as much as Jesus. But can I tell you the truth about our church? This church has been so incredibly kind to my family and I. Like pound for pound, I would put this church up against any other church in the nation as far as the gratitude, the kindness, the intentionality with the way that you guys have built us up and lifted us up and spoken life over us over all these years and shown us love in all kinds of ways. And I would just be crazy if I just didn't real quick one more time just tell you guys on behalf of, uh, of Rachel and my family how much we absolutely love and appreciate you guys. So would you give yourselves a hand at every campus for being so incredibly generous. Thank you. Love you guys. A couple of things, and then we're going to get right into it this weekend. Number one is, uh, for the last several years, we've done something that uh, we didn't know if it would work or not. And every year, God just keeps doing amazing things. And for those of you in here, the ladies, I'm talking to you now, we have our women's conference that's about to come up. And we have uh, it just an incredible lineup of things that's going to happen. But every year, I'm the creepy guy that sneaks in the back and watches and acts like, oh, these ladies, whatever. And then by the end, I'm bawling every time, all right? Listen, it's something you don't want to miss. We still, for a while, will have some seats available. So before this weekend is over, before uh, whatever service you're in, I'm going to preach pretty boring anyway. So just sign up while I'm preaching if you want, all right? Uh, I don't care because God always moves powerfully at our women's conferences, okay? And you're going to get more information from your campus pastor at the end of the service, how you can actually sign up. But I promise you, ladies, you're not going to want to miss that. Another thing, we're having communion. It's the, the, the most important thing I wanted to do as my final act with you guys. And, and, and sometime during worship, I'm going to come interrupt the musicians and we're going to have a communion. If you didn't get one, here's what that means. You sat on it because we put it on your seats. <laughs> I prayed about it with Jesus. He says it totally counts. 
It's, it counts. If you sat on it, he's like, that's, it counts, right? Right? All right. You broke his body again. No, we're moving on. That was, sorry. No, that's too, sorry. To all the Catholic, recovering Catholics that come here, sorry. That was too much. <laughs> if you're visiting with us for the last time, uh, <laughs> I, I'll say what I've said for, for, I think, about 13 and a half years straight, because at the core of what I value, this is foundational. And so I'm going to say it one more time, and we're going to practice what I've been preaching to you guys, because this is what I want to leave you with. I'm going to say this. If you've been going here for longer than a few weeks, you know what I'm going to say. If in the next few minutes, the Holy Spirit is not the Lord over this moment, this thing is silly. And not just silly, potentially dangerous. Because our only hope is not in a good talk. It's not in excellence, and we believe in excellence for the glory of God. It's not in really good music, and we're going to always try and have the best music possible. Our only hope to walk in the fullness of the purpose and of the glory that God wants to shine through us to this world is that every weekend that we by faith show up here, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is so honored and appreciated and cultivated and invited in us that the one who's the only one that can change us anyways, right? Do you remember what Paul said? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. That means every time we come together and we collectively put our faith together, we should have radical expectancy for what God might just do in this service right now at every one of our campuses. And so usually here's where I say that, and then I pray before the message, and I invite the Holy Spirit with you to Lord over this moment. But about 10 or so years ago, my favorite song in the last decade was written. And the title of it is Holy Spirit. So instead of praying and inviting the Holy Spirit to work and to act in such powerful ways in us and through us at all of our campuses. We're gonna stand right now and we're gonna sing it as a prayer. Let's worship. to be 
thank you today. Lord, for who you are, God, we thank you that your spirit is here. God, and we just invite you to rest in this place, to work in whatever way you see fit. Because like Chad was saying, if your presence isn't here, then we're just a bunch of people doing nothing, God. So we receive your presence and we welcome you in. In your name we pray, amen. Campus, you guys can be seated. We are officially ready for a sermon now. You guys good? If you're visiting with us, uh, hi, by the way, my name's Chad, um, and I'm retiring, so you came on a really weird week. But it's going to be a good week because I have a message that has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the reason you came here in the first place was to hear about this man named Jesus that we call Lord and Savior. And so we're going to jump right into it. We're in week uh, three. I've kind of screwed the series up. Sorry, Sean. But we're in week three of a series called Let There Be Light, which we're piggybacking off of, of course, the Red Conference. And uh, it's just going to be an awesome series. And I have a privilege to to speak one into this. Uh, And I was thinking about, okay, Chad, this is not only a Let There Be Light series, but this is also your last sermon as a pastor at Red Rocks Church. And so if you had one thing to tell the church, what is it that you would choose to tell them? And, and normally for me as an analytical person, I would way overthink this one and it would be difficult, but I instantly knew what it was that I wanted to talk to you guys about. The only problem was I'm like, well, how does that contextualize through this issue of let there be light? And as good as God is and as powerful as his word is, there was a passage of scripture where Paul is talking a lot about light and it happens to talk in that about the subject that I want to spend my last time with you just giving you as a pastoral charge of what I see in this church and what I believe about this church and what I want as a family member forever in this church as someone who's going to come back and guest speak. In fact, Sean got on a plane to leave this weekend and before he did, he's like, dude, you're speaking December 1st as a guest speaker, just so you know. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we're not talking about it. So uh, I will be back as a guest speaker. I love this place. But, but I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read through about verse 10, and I'm going to uh, read and then talk and then read a little bit more like I normally do. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says this, the God, lowercase g, because he's not talking about the one true God. He's talking about the God of their particular age, greed, misogyny, patriarchy, inappropriate expressions of sexuality. You can read about all the things that were happening in this Greek culture, but he's talking lowercase God here. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see, and here's the word, the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you're a newer believer and you're ever doubting or questioning or wondering what God, this unseen God is really like, that's why we got Christ. In other places in scripture, like Colossians, it says that Christ is the express image of the invisible God. If you're ever wondering what God's like, if you're ever questioning the character or the heart of God, if you're ever wondering if you could possibly be worthy of God's love, just look at Jesus and he'll tell you everything you know about God that you need to know. He's the image of God. Paul says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then he says this, for God who said, and here it is again, let the light shine out of darkness, quote in Genesis chapter one, made the light, this is beautiful, shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But then Paul says, but, and you guys know, if you've been reading the Bible very long at all, but's a really important word in the Bible. 
It has massive implications. Paul says, here's what he said so far. You, you, that same light and that same spirit that God used to speak this whole earth into existence now because of Jesus, think about this, Red Rocks, lives in you. The same power that literally raised Christ from the dead and the resurrection is the centerpiece of our faith, right? Now lives in you. And Paul's saying, that's the power. That's how dynamic, that's how divine the image bearers are called humans. God has made you so fearfully and wonderfully made. He has made you and I so incredibly dynamic. And I hope all of you never forget that. But Paul says, but he goes, but here's the issue. Here's where, here's where it can get really messy if you don't know what to do with this. He says, but we have this treasure, the spirit. God's light living in us, the face of Christ living and breathing through us. He says, we have this treasure, this gift, but it's in jars of clay. Why? To show us this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, here's what Paul's getting at is, is he's saying this, yes to the church of Corinth and yes to the church of Red Rocks 2,000 years later, God has made you incredibly dynamic. In fact, let me use a more important word than dynamic. We are image bearers of God. We know that from the book of Genesis. God hasn't just made you and I dynamic. He has made us divine. But here's what God in his sovereign wisdom chose to do. And I don't always fully understand why he chose, but he chose. So we got to know what to do with this. He chose to place his divinity in incredible fragility. You and I are incredibly divine and dynamic and powerful and beautiful and amazing. And we are incredibly fragile people. And that is why there is so much widespread brokenness and hurt and pain. So much so that 2,000 years ago, God says this has to change. And he sends his son out of love into this world to take the punishment and take the pain in place of our, to, to sit in the brokenness with us and show us that God knows what it's like to not just have his divinity in us, which is amazing, but at the same time be so prone to hurt and brokenness and pain. So Paul says, we have these jars of clay that we're made of. And God says, the purpose I did this was that the power flowing in you and through you would be for my glory and not for our glory. This whole potter and clay thing is a reoccurring theme in the scriptures. In fact, Paul would have probably had Isaiah chapter 64 memorized. And so I'll just show you one prophet that used this metaphor because they used it often in the Old Testament. Isaiah writes, but now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the what? We are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. I don't know why God chose clay. I don't know why when he took his divine breath and dust from the ground, he chose to breathe life into clay and make Adam, all of us, these living beings. Why didn't he use metal? Why didn't he use platinum? Why didn't he use gold? Why didn't he use silver? Why didn't he use something that was a little less prone to brokenness? Why didn't he use something a little less fragile so we wouldn't be so easily marred and scarred and hurt and wounded and broken in this lifetime? I don't fully know, but that's what God did. And so you and I, I want you to hear this. We are incredible works of divinity, but we are equally fragile people. But when Isaiah says that God is a potter and we are clay, He's making this statement, or I'm going to make this statement. God doesn't make bad art. You understand that? Because some of you walk into one of our campuses, a bunch of you do right now, and you've bought into the lie that you're bad art. 
because of some of the cracks. Because this, this beautiful thing now has, has a bunch of stories to tell that aren't so pretty and aren't so beautiful and there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of wounds and there's a lot of unforgiveness and there's a lot of abuse and there's a lot of addiction and there's a lot of uh, relational turmoil and things that we all walk into this place as part of our story. But what I, what I want to charge you guys with as I'm finished in this place is simply this. God does not make bad art but he does make art fragile. So there's something that we have to do with that fact. And I want to just tease this out a little more. Uh, I shared a little bit with you, and I've talked over the years very candidly about the fact that I struggle with depression. This isn't a message this weekend about depression. I'm just telling you what some of the cracks in Chad's clay look like. And for me, some of the most important, difficult moments of my life have come via difficult bouts of depression. In the last year, especially the last six months, I've walked through incredible amounts and some real darkness that has to do with depression, and some of you know what that's like, but listen to me. If that's not your thing in here, if that's not a part of your story, here's what I know about you. You're still broken, and you still have a story to tell with your scars and your wounds and your abuse and places where you got hurt and places where you hurt people, right? So don't make this about depression. For me, it is. So I'll share with you my story, but fill in the blank for whatever that is with you. I did a message three or four years ago on depression in a series we did uh, called Mind Games. If, if depression and anxiety is a struggle of yours, I challenge you to go back and watch that series because Sean and I tackled all of those type issues. But in that, I put up, uh, when I was talking about depression, I put up some pictures of some uh, very famous people that struggle with depression because I wanted you guys to see that some of the most dynamic, gifted, beautiful, intelligent, and talented people that history has ever seen were completely amazing people, but at the same time, profoundly fragile. So go ahead and put up that first picture. I'll show you a few of the ones I showed last sermon. You guys may know him from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's Abraham Lincoln. You ever heard of him? Decent guy. I think he's our 16th president, if school did me right. And uh, he kind of had a decent effect on what we call the United States of America. He kind of still has a few ripples that we're still feeling the effects of, right? And I'm saying that lightly. In fact, we liked him so much, we carved his face on a mountain. How, how awesome of a life do you got to live for, for a bunch of people in South Dakota to go, let's put his face on a mountain. We're going to do that. <laughs> like, that's Abraham Lincoln. Now, now what a lot of you uh, don't know if you haven't even done a, uh, any of his biographical studies... But if you have, you know it in the cliff notes. He was an incredibly depressed and melancholy man. For how dynamic and divine God made him. And all of the incredible things he accomplished that we still are sitting in the beautiful effects in this nation right now. He was an incredibly fragile human being. Do you understand that? And I think sometimes we forget that. Put up the next picture. This is a, a self-portrait of Vincent Van Gogh. Or it also could be a local barista, hipster, wherever you get coffee. They always have a beard and they're never happy. Good coffee, though. That's a self-portrait. That's worth, you guys know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And Vincent Van Gogh, uh, for how dynamic and divine God put a gift on the inside of him, was mentally ill. Just like a bunch of people that walk through the doors of our church, they struggle with a very real mental illness. 
And it's so easy sometimes to be so caught up with the difficulty of people's mental illness that we forget to stop and go, let me see the divinity in you. Let me see the beauty in you. Let me see the brilliance in you. I know you struggle with that, but I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your story. Vincent Van Gogh had such mental illness. We know, we know what he did one time, right? He literally cut off his ear, put it in a package and sent it to someone. Not in the right state of mind when you're willing to, to, to do that to the jar of clay that, that God gave you. You want to talk about a crack, a mar, a wound. Put up the next picture. This is finally a living person. Uh, anybody know who that is? Thank you, ma'am. I love that. That's J.K. Rowling. And for you adults that don't know who that is, shame on you. Okay? <laughs> that woman right there has been incredibly vocal about her depression. But can we just stop and, and let this prove my point? God has made human beings incredibly divine, but at the exact same time, profoundly fragile. That is a billion-dollar imagination. You understand? Her imagination and her gift to take it from here to the paper has literally grossed her over a million dollars in this lifetime. That is how dynamic and divine God makes image bearers called humans, and yet at the exact same time, the woman that we would think has it all and has no worries and cares in the world wrestles with depression. Why? Because we are deeply, divinely made and beautifully made. God doesn't make bad art, but he does make fragile art. That next picture, go ahead and put it up. This is personal for me. This is my all-time favorite preacher. This is my hero when it comes to preaching. Uh, you, most of you wouldn't know much about him. His name is Charles Spurgeon. He's a boss. Just look at him. If you carry a cane, look, look at him. He's like, I know. I'm bad to the bone. I get it. <laughs> he only lived to be 55. He lost his wife in uh, her 30s. And he is called notoriously, especially in the church nerd world with pastors like me, the prince of preachers. I've read, at this point in, in, in my young career, I've read hundreds of his sermons before I ever got up to preach, and I've never seen anyone that could preach as dynamic and as divinely inspired as Charles Spurgeon, and he was incredibly fragile. There were times, if you read his bios, and I've read a couple, where he didn't come out of his room for two weeks to a month sometime, and everyone wanted to be around Charles Spurgeon. Because he was so dynamic and he could preach so good and so many people's lives were changed by him. But some days he couldn't even hardly get out of bed. Come on, depressed people. You know what that's like. And you know the judgment you sit under from people that don't struggle with it. And again, I'm not making this about depression. I'm just simply saying everyone comes in here with a story and they're divinely brilliant people. But surrounding and covering our divinity is a whole bunch of fragility and cracks and brokenness and hurts and wounds. And we have to be so careful with each other. Put up the next one. This is getting more personal as we go. <laughs> Guys, when you are depressed, okay, again, fill this in the blank for whatever your struggle is, but... But, but when you struggle with depression, I've always said this, there are two things as God's given depressed people as a gift, and I call them free medicine, exercise and laughter. In fact, King Solomon would say this, laughter does the heart good like what? Medicine. This guy happens to be, now some of you uh, wouldn't call him your favorite comedian, and you're wrong, but, it, but you wouldn't, and I get it. This is my favorite, in fact, he got, he got my Halloween. That was me, Halloween. Right there. That's how much I love him. <laughs> Matt Foley, motivational speaker. Anyways, this guy has brought me so much laughter. This guy, everywhere he went, everyone wanted to be around him. He was the life of the party. He could make everybody laugh in a second. He could change the whole atmosphere of a room. And we all know the end of his story. One night in Chicago, 
He had too many drugs and he drank way too much and he ate way too much. He lived a life of incredible gluttony and it wasn't because he was a bad human. It was because he was so fragile and he didn't know what to do with it. Do you understand that? Someone as brilliant in their comedy as Chris Farley hurting so bad and so fragile that at some point they decided to take so much drugs and alcohol that their heart would finally just say, we've had enough. God has made us, Red Rocks Church, incredibly divine and profoundly fragile. Last one, and I promise we'll, we'll make a point here and wrap her up. This one's hard for me to look at. Ladies, calm it down. We're in church. <laughs> We're in church. This is Brad Pitt, but this is like Brad Pitt 10, 15 years ago. And Brad has been, uh, ironically, you can go and uh, study it. He's been very open about being depressed. And I was like, I got to show Brad Pitt because if Brad Pitt's depressed, can we not all agree that we're jars of clay, right? <laughs> if that guy right there has a depression issue, then can we not just agree that God made us profoundly fragile people, right? I remember when my wife and I got uh, uh, married, we were newlyweds. That's what happens when you get married, Chad. And <laughs> for those of you know, the first few years of marriage is just getting a bunch wrong so you can figure it out, right? Like, that's what being a newlywed is. And, and I made the mistake on one date night uh, in the first year of our marriage playing the let's tell our celebrity crush game. <laughs> I'm not, a, by nature, a real jealous person and when it comes to the romantic side of things. And uh, my wife, I don't think, really is either. And so I just one night on a date night said, hey, what's your celebrity crush? And my wife's very modest and very kind and much more pure than I am. And she's like, no, that's, we're not going to. I don't want to talk. I don't have one. I'm like, we all have one. Come on. Beauty's beauty, all right? Who's your celebrity crush? She's like, no, I don't want to tell you. I go, Rachel, I'm secure, all right? I'm fine. We just made covenant, all right? There's nothing you're going to say that's going to bother me. And she goes, all right, fine. I go, who is it? She goes, Brad Pitt. I go, what? No! <laughs> I, had, I was like, there was one person off limits, and you just said his name, Brad Pitt. And I'm rebuking her. She goes, well, fine then. Who's yours, Chad? And I go, no, we're done with the game. We don't need to play this. <laughs> you were there, right? Like, we don't need to, we don't need to play this game. She's like, no, who's yours? I go, well, I can't say because it's a, it's a tie. I have two. She goes, well, tell me both. I go, nah. She goes, please tell me. I'm like, all right, fine. It's Halle Berry. She's like, okay. She handled it great. She goes, who's the other one? I'm like, nah, let's just end this. She's like, no, who's the other one? I go, Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I'm a, I'm a heterosexual individual. Beauty's beauty, though. I'm sorry. I, I can't help it. I mean, that, put, put it up one more time. <laughs> put it down, please. <laughs> Let's get saved all over again, church. Come on. Here's what I'm getting at, though, and please hear me. I, I, I've, just, I've just read some scripture and had some fun for this moment right here. This is my charge. This is what I so deeply want Red Rocks Church to grab a hold of. For some of you, you're going to re-up on this. Idea, And for some of you, this is going to be a, a, new, a new thought about life. But this is what I want us to know right here. If God chose to wrap his divinity in such fragility, then kindness is paramount to the story that God is telling through us. I'm going to read that one more time because if you hear nothing else, this is why we came to church this weekend. This is the, the work I'm doing up here to get us to understand. If God chose to wrap his divinity in such fragile human beings, jars of clay, then listen to me, kindness. Everybody say kindness. 
Kindness is paramount to the story that God is telling through us. Do you understand that? I know that love, joy, and peace gets top billing when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit living in us, but I think our culture prophetically needs to have a moment where kindness bumps up the list and gets a little more airtime than it's gotten. I think, it, I think it's so important to God. I once heard a person say that love, because we know why love gets top billing, because God is love. But I heard a person say one time so eloquently that kindness is what love smells like. Like if you want people to really understand what it means to be loved, the entry point to that is good old-fashioned kindness. Do you understand that? Kindness has the power to literally change an atmosphere. Let me talk to the businessmen for a minute in here. The ROI on kindness is about second to none. The, the effort it takes to be kind versus the return on investment that we get from it is a no-brainer. I think this world, and I think it starts with the local church, this world needs a revival, right? We're always crying about revival. We're always screaming for revival. And we say, we need our nation to repent, and we need a revival. And I would say, as a pastor, I 100% agree. But do you know what repentance is caused by? Not my opinion. The book of Romans opinion, kindness. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, right? And we say we need a nation that repents. We need to get on our knees and repent. And I agree, we need to get on our knees and, and repent to God about whatever. But if we really want a revival, I don't think it's sitting around praying and looking and hoping one more minute for signs and wonders to come do all the heavy lifting for us. I think God's saying you want revival, then show people kindness because through you, Jars of clay, broken people, your kindness is actually going to be what makes people change their mind about my son Jesus. Because that's the whole goal. God's kindness, Paul just told us, is being revealed to this world through divinely beautiful, dynamic people, but people that are broken and hurt and wounded. And it's time that the church, if we're going to have a revival, it's time that the church quits being scared about talking about your brokenness. It's time that the church stops being unkind to people that have incredible amounts of brokenness. It's time for us, the church, to set standards when it comes to this thing of kindness. Everywhere we go, there should be a trail of kindness and a wake of grace following us. Everywhere we go, that's the, the thumbprint that we should leave. We should be, of all people on planet Earth, the least people who are afraid of other people's brokenness. But do you know why we still, even as the church, are afraid of other people's brokenness? Because we're still so condemned about our own. And Jesus came, and Paul said because of what he did, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means every part of your story, all of the brilliance that you possess, all of the dynamic characteristics that you have as a person, all the talents and giftings and skills that God gave you are amazing. But you know what's equally important to Jesus being taught throughout the world and shown so that people will repent? It's your brokenness. See, here's the problem, though. In this world, brokenness is an indictment. It's how quick can you fix it so we can get on to your dreams. But in the kingdom of God, brokenness is not an indictment. Brokenness is currency. Paul says it in the same book, 2 Corinthians, eight chapters later. I believe in chap uh, verse 9, he says, uh, basically, I pleaded with God to take away some of my brokenness. And every time I asked him, God said no. 
Every time I asked him to, to heal, supernaturally heal, whatever was cracked in my clay, Paul said, I asked and God said no. And God's answer was this, because Paul, in your weakness or brokenness, that's where my power is actually made perfect. Paul, it's actually in that weakness of yours, that crack in the armor, that crack in the clay, that's actually where some of the most light is going to shine through you when you go and live your life to bring glory to me. And Red Rocks Church, that wasn't just for the great apostle Paul, that's for you and I. Some of the greatest light you and I will ever possess isn't our talent. It's not our gifting. It's not our ability to make a buck. It's our courage to be open about our brokenness. And the gospel, because you are saved by grace through faith, and it's not by works lest anyone should boast, that alone gives you permission to be unashamed and unafraid of your brokenness. That's why I have no problem getting up here and telling you that I, as one of your pastors, struggles with dark nights of the soul as it relates to depression. I don't have condemnation. It's not hard for me to get up and be honest about that. It's not hard for me to get up here and wonder if you guys are going to think less of me because pastors are supposed to be Captain America and awesome dudes. No, no, no. I bleed red just like you. Some of you, it's not depression. It's addiction. It's whatever. It's fill in the blank. Some of you, uh, there's a, a crack in your clay because of divorce and you can't seem to shake it. You think it's what defines you. You think everybody thinks you're a failure. And I'm just here to tell you, it doesn't matter what you, you think. It matters what God says. And God says, I say on behalf of God, he doesn't make bad art. This isn't bad art right here. This is real. This is something beautiful that has been broken and healed and being put back together by God. And he wants his line. Paul said he wants his light to shine for you. Turn the lights down at this campus for a minute. And just to to, to, to help you understand, this light, what makes it powerful, what makes it beautiful is that it's coming through the places of brokenness. This is what we have to offer the world, Red Rocks Church. It's not our awesomeness. It's not how great we are. It's not how better behaved we are. Listen, all that stuff matters in time, but it's not the main theme of the story. The main theme of the story is God knew that in our fragility we would sin, and because of that there would be an epidemic of brokenness. But he says, in that brokenness, my grace is bigger than that. And if you will be a constant receiver of grace then here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to fully mend this like it looks all perfect again. I'm going to actually let these cracks and I'm going to actually let these broken pieces be part of the story where I'm actually going to send you to the dark places to reveal my light. And, And here's why brokenness is so important, Red Rocks Church, is because brokenness is what breeds empathy. Prosperity does not. It's good. I'm all for it. I want, I want you to do amazing in life. I think the Bible says that. Prosper, be well, do well. But listen to me. Seasons of prosperity is not where the light shines the most. It's it's in your places of brokenness where God gets the most glory if you will use it for his glory and be courageous enough to tell your story and no longer apologize for it and wake up every day and when you're feeling insecure and when you're getting beat down, You say, God does not make bad art. And if you start to believe that long enough, you won't be able to look at other people, even enemies, and call them bad art. Then you're living the Jesus life. Then you're starting to walk in the Jesus kingdom. I don't know about you. And band, you guys can come on up at every campus, but I want to be one of those type Jesus people. And I have a hunch, partly because you showed up, 
that you want to be that too. In the deepest places, getting past all the hurt, all the pain, all the idolatry, all the temptations, all the sin patterns we all struggle with, get all that aside and at the core of who you are is just beautiful art and I know you want to display that to other people. If you're going to do that, kindness is essential. And if we're going to have a revival of repentance, kindness has to happen. And if that's going to happen, then listen to me. You have to make your peace with your brokenness. You have to let Jesus heal it day after day, time after time, moment after moment. And we don't do this one time and then we're fixed. This is a lifelong issue of discipleship that we get the privilege to walk in, human brokenness. Red Rocks, we have to be the most empathetic people in the Denver metro area and in Brussels and wherever else God will let us go. We need a revival of kindness. I know it doesn't seem like the fastest way to fix things, and I know we're efficient people here in America. We're capitalists, right? Efficiency really matters because it equals dollars. But can you tell them, can I, can I tell you kindness is the long game that we're playing, not the short game? That we, we, can, we can trust that, that kindness, a, a revival of it, can do more than we ever give it credit for. It's not weakness. Kindness isn't weakness. Kindness isn't naivety. Kindness is the spirit of Christ showing the world what God is like through you. You want to talk about a beautiful thing, and here's what's so powerful about kindness. Everybody within the sound of my voice qualifies. And this world deserves it. You deserve it. You won't be kind to people if you're not really, really kind to yourself. Some of the meanest, grumpiest, curmudgeonly people I've ever came across, I used to get so mad at and judgmental, and then I finally grew up enough to go, hey, what's your story? And if you peel back all the layers of their grumpiness and their, their anger and their mean spirit, you will find deep hurt and deep insecurity and realizing, man, the reason we're not kind to each other is because we're not kind to ourselves. And I don't know any other solution than you constantly going back every day to the gospel and renewing your mind and reminding yourself of who God calls you. Not what you call you, not what other people call you, not what this looks like from the outside, but that Jesus speaks life over you. You are a son you are a daughter. I've said my piece. We're going to play a song at every campus here in a minute to get our hearts ready. And then I'm going to come back on stage at all of our campuses and we're going to take communion together. I really thought long and hard how I wanted to end this message. And I want to end it with a quote that is so important to me. And I hope if it's not already, it's a famous one. It's, it's important to you. Uh, it's fun to watch on the internet who people credit this quote with because I did a little research and we honestly don't fully know who actually said it. I've seen Abraham Lincoln, always he's the go-to. Eleanor Roosevelt, Plato way back in the day. Philo, I've seen a bunch of people. We don't know who it is. And so I'm going to take my last liberty and I'm going to accredit it to someone who I just chose. So these are my final words to you, Red Rocks Church. Chris Farley once said, <laughs> be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Let's stand and let's worship.